Lord, we pray that your grace may always precede and follow us, that we may continually be given to good works. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So, today's topic is from Acts 10 and Acts 11. Uh, Peter and Cornelius. And uh, yeah, this, if you can read the fine print, this says, Vision of Cornelius the Centurion, painted in 1664. And it looks like a Dutch name. Gerbron Vanden Eckhout. In reading through this, one of the things that I was just really impressed with was in this story, Luke's use of repetition to emphasize how important this meeting of Peter and Cornelius, this conversion of Cornelius, whatever you want to say about it. And I hope this is not too small that you can't see it, but I, I just outlined the 10th chapter and the beginning of the 11th chapter and marked all of the times that this part of the story is repeated. Um, so just to run through this really quickly, the 10th chapter begins with the vision to Cornelius. Then it switches over to Peter, who is over in Joppa, staying with Simon the Tanner, and recounts the vision that Peter has. As that vision is completing, there's a knock on the door and Peter meets some men who have come from Caesarea, which is Joppa's on the coast. Caesarea is north of Joppa, I think 20 or 30 miles. So two or three days journey north of Joppa. So some men have come and they Peter asks them why they're there, and they repeat a short synopsis of Cornelius's vision. That, that, that's why they're there. So then Peter travels to Caesarea, and when Peter gets there, so we're down to 1028, Peter recounts a really summary version of his vision as to why he came. And then he asked Cornelius why he invited him, even though the men had already told Peter. Uh, 
Cornelius recounts his vision again. So, and then Peter's sermon, and that's where, where we're going to spend most of today on, is verses starting in verse 34 of chapter 10, the sermon that, that Peter preaches. Uh, if you remember, either during the sermon or, or at a break point or something, the spirit falls on Cornelius and his household and uh, Peter tells them that they all need to be baptized. Then that ends the 10th chapter. The beginning of the 11th chapter, the church in Jerusalem, and specifically they refer to them as the, the circumcision group, so that the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem criticize Peter greatly for eating with Gentiles. From the last verse of chapter 10, it sounds like Peter may have stayed with the Gentiles a few days, may have stayed with Cornelius' household. So then in the 11th chapter, Peter goes to Jerusalem to confront them, and he recounts his vision. So there, there's another repetition of Peter's vision. Then Peter recounts Cornelius's vision, since it appears Cornelius is not there, so Peter has to tell it. And then Peter recounts the coming of the Spirit. And, and it's compared to Pentecost, it's compared to you know, the way the Spirit came upon us, the apostles, at the beginning. So in a chapter and a half, Luke just repeats and repeats and repeats. And as we said at the beginning, uh, I'm certainly of the opinion that Luke is a very deliberate writer. So he's not doing this because he's befuddled. He's doing it because it has a purpose. And, and the, the, the gospel going to the Gentiles, specifically to Cornelius, uh, and the gospel being received by the Gentiles uh, was a big deal. Uh, and Cornelius is presented as a very uh, respectable fellow. Uh, nothing much is said about his, uh, other than that he's a centurion, so he's in charge of, as they say, a century of army, troops, which in fact was about 80, but no. So he, he, comparable to an officer in the... Yes. Uh, so one of the things that I'm bemused um, um, by, because it, it says he was God-fearing. He was devout and God-fearing, but he was not, he was not, was, did he fear the God of Abraham, or did he, was he, I mean, what was his... 
I'd like to unpack that. In, in the New Testament, God-fearing was a sort of a technical term for non-Jews, for, for Gentiles, who worshipped the God of Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob, and uh, seemed to you know, participate. They say here that, that Cornelius prayed and he gave alms, and, and so he was a believer, but the, if God-fearing is, is a technical term that he was not a full proselyte. He apparently did not undergo circumcision to become a Jewish proselyte. Um, and, and there were, in this period of time, there were a lot of people that really respected the Jewish religion, the Jewish beliefs, the Jewish monotheism. So he was not, he was not a polytheist. He was not uh, no, anything I, of the sort of the Roman God type tradition. Right. Yeah. And because Cornelius was in Caesarea, Caesarea was essentially the Roman capital of Judea. It had been built oh, 75 years before or something by Herod as a beautiful harbor uh, town, city, and this is where the Romans liked to stay. The weather was a bit better than it was in Jerusalem. And uh, so if he was a centurion and was posted, assigned there in Caesarea, it means he was probably well respected in the Roman army as well. He, he was just a good guy. And centurions uh, would be financially fairly well off. Uh, so he, he probably had his own home, his family, slaves, a household, uh, we're told, uh, there. So uh, he, he would have been a well-respected uh, person. Yeah. Would it have been possible that he may be part of the, that he may have seen Jesus crucified? Who knows? I mean, I mean, it's certainly possible. Time-wise, we, we are a year, two years, something, three years maybe after the crucifixion. There, there's no um, description of the timing. Uh, and nothing else is said other than he was living in Caesarea. You know, whether he would have been in Jerusalem earlier or not, or whatever. I always try to place my, whenever I read the Old Testament and New Testament both, I try to, I, I, I always seem like I'm thinking about myself being present mm -hmm. and where I would be. In other words, I often thought, well, if I'd been Cornelius, 
I don't know if, and, and he didn't go to synagogue, of course, of course he wasn't a Jew, mm -hmm. so what did he really, he was just a God-fearing, I don't even know if it was a, I don't know, he, now he may have been uh, able to go to synagogue. It, and he wouldn't have been allowed to participate or handle the scrolls or that sort of thing. But it's certainly possible he could have sort of sit in the back and listen to what was said. And synagogues were the the community center. It, it was worship on Sabbath, but the rest of the week. It was the, the Jewish community center where schooling went on for kids and lots of things. So, And there were Gentile converts into the Jewish religion. So, and I often thought, yes. well, he probably, he probably knew what was going on in Jerusalem. You know, probably everybody knew what was going on, whether they believed it or not, they knew what was going on. Yeah. Probably uh, might even been close to you know the time of the crucifixion and all that's going on. But that's what I was thinking is that if he didn't wasn't an eyewitness of the crucifixion, certainly the fact many people would have been aware that that Jesus was this great teacher, this rabbi, and that he had been crucified and. So, in learning all, I mean, knowing all of that in, in terms of what he would have been exposed to, would, um, would, ha would perhaps have influenced his belief in a one God. Perhaps, but, but uh, in this vision, he, he is told to go get this guy named Simon Peter. He's over in Joppa. And he will explain to you uh, more. So it just uh, it keeps, I go back in the memory of things happening in the past. And I don't know when you all moved to, uh, first moved to Terre Haute. 85. So in the 70s, that's when we started the campus ministry. Yeah. It was not completely respected by the churches in the community. And uh, John Raleigh was the first one. I, I'll kind of relate him to Cornelius because uh, he, was, he was the first convert and then it just grew in the, the uh, in the uh, Indiana State University, mm -hmm. and uh, they just did great work. And we had a lot of baptisms. Remember the one year we had almost a hundred, I think. Mm -hmm. So it was growing. So it just kind of I kind of related to this story yeah. of Cornelius. So let, let's since this. <coughs> Our class. Let's look at the sermon. Um, so, verse yeah. thirty-four of chapter ten. Uh, 
it's interesting if you remember some of the things that are said in previous chapters. In the previous verse, Cornelius says, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So this group was ready to listen. Uh, we've, we've had previous groups that Peter's preached to that he had to tell them, you, know, you need to hear this, you need to listen. But this group was ready. So verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace, through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. A couple of things. Uh, this is, is in detail a, a sermon specifically to these Gentiles. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's interesting. Peter says, truly I understand God shows no partiality. Um, it's interesting, the Greek word there for no partiality would normally be translated, God does not accept bribes. So it's, it's not that the rich can pay their way into justice with the judge. God, God doesn't uh, show partiality. His treatment is equitable to you, the audience, 
in this sermon as well as uh, to the Jews. My translation says favoritism. Okay. But he accepts men from every nation mm -hmm. who fear him and do what is right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, to run through our who, what, where, when, who is, is Peter? It says in some other place here, he brought six men along with him. So he had six Jewish Christians from Joppa who came with him. Uh, He comes at the invitation of Cornelius and, in a way, a bit of a push from God saying, you know, you, you need to go. That, that there's, there's no reason for you not to meet and teach these people. So he's gone to Caesarea. He's in the the home of Cornelius, uh, apparently a fairly large household, uh, and there were others there as well. When we're not told um, when this was in the chronology of, of Acts. Within how many years since the crucifixion? You know. 10, I, 20 I, years? I'm thinking two or three. Four. I mean, you know. It says there. A fairly short time. Um, in verse 36, he sort of implies that they have known this message. He says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling them the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Who is Lord of all. Yeah. So he's, he's, yes, he seems to be referring to something that they knew. And also in verse 37, he says, you know what has happened through Judea. Right. Beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. I think the thing that Peter adds to this, he uses the word witness a couple of times. That, that, he was able to say to them, you know, I for one was an eyewitness. I can attest to this happening. I think it's interesting in verse 39, in talking to Cornelius, a Roman centurion, about the death of Jesus, he says, they put him to death by hanging on a tree. He doesn't implicate the Romans at all in, in that. Yeah, to, uh, he's speaking to this, but it just says large gathering. Mm -hmm. yeah. He didn't say you did it, which is a bit different from what we got in Acts 2, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the tenor is a little different there. Yeah. 
it's almost like this is that I'm intrigued by how, particularly uh, on the part where he talks about how uh, Jackie mentioned, you know, you know what has happened to Roger. This is there's a lot of continuity here between uh, Jesus. Uh, preaching in this. It's almost like uh, I'm picking up where Jesus left off. Jesus also had a message of uh, not showing favoritism, as it were. Well, and, and then... I think the continuity, verse 37, if Cornelius was a God-fearer and had been reading what we call the Old Testament, had been reading the Hebrew scriptures or hearing them taught, Peter connects him to that and says, you know, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So he's, he's connecting Cornelius to the events and the witnesses, but also connecting him to these scriptures that he has been <coughs> studying or that he has been reading. And in the text, at this point, this translation says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So, uh, sort of in the middle of Peter's sermon, uh, the Spirit comes. Leland, uh, I have a question. I, I think this is interesting in verse... Uh, well, 39, he says, we're witnesses of everything he did in the country, the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him. We talked about that. But God raised him from the dead. Now look at verse 41. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him. I mean, is he talking specifically about the apostles there or other people that have been chosen to, to, to see Christ as to who he, who he is or was? Well, if, if, we, if we look at how Luke is writing this, then we know from chapter 1 that there was at least 120 who uh, were witnesses to Jesus after his resurrection. That, that there, was, there was that group of disciples. And then in 1 Corinthians, I think Paul talks about that, that he appeared to 500. So it, it was a limited number in that respect. It, it was not 
you know, he didn't go to Jerusalem and up on the temple wall and appear to thousands. So, not sure what is your. I guess my dilemma in in this is, in the large group, let's say at Pentecost, was there only a select number of those that had been chosen to hear that message and receive it in their hearts and accept it, whereas the other ones that were there because of. This is talking about disciples who were chosen to see the resurrected Jesus. Okay, okay. In the, uh, how many, 40 days? Yeah, yeah. in the 40 days okay. between the resurrection right. and the ascension. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm also, oh, well, it's almost time. Uh, I'm also intrigued by that the people that came with Peter were astonished that the... <laughs> So, uh, I mean, with, were even they not advanced enough in their understanding? They had heard Peter talk about his vision, but they hadn't seen the vision. So, I mean, Peter's the one that says, I understand uh, what God's plan is for the Gentiles. But those other six people, who apparently were Jewish Christians, yes, yes, uh, yeah. in in Peter's entourage, yeah, they were, and they and they go with him to Jerusalem, and we don't have time to go into the eleventh chapter and uh, let P, let Peter explain and justify why he baptized a whole bunch of Gentiles. And uh, consider that they were now in Christ. Yeah, is this the, the first record of, of the baptism of Gentiles? Hmm. Well, except for the Ethiopian. And, and um, the Ethiopian eunuch was in an earlier chapter. Uh, well, is, is this written sequentially? In the book? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, one would guess that it is, but this is certainly the turning point. Here you've got a household. You've got a church that's now planted in Caesarea that is a Gentile church. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's, it's different than this Ethiopian on the road by himself and, and apparently Philip baptizes him by himself. Uh, so next week we actually go into chapter 13 and 14 and we hear from Paul for the, for the first time. And I would invite you, look at Acts 11 and uh, we can talk about that a little bit next week. Uh,
Kent will be back next week as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.